Uh, today's reading is Acts 17, verses 16 and 22 to 34. It can be found on your screen. This is God's word. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I pray, just a note that I am um, taking a few weeks off, but I have pre-recorded some messages because I'm just excited about this series um, related to our kind of like our culture and the things raging around us. And so I've got some videos, uh, video sermons for while I'm gone. And, um, and yet I also just want to uh, thank the leadership team for affirming um, my time off um, from Sunday stuff and um, just the, the chance to kind of relax and see if um, you can kind of de-stress and get refreshed to return to duties when I get back um, in late August. So let's let's go to God in prayer as we consider this past these passages. Our God of grace, we bring all kinds of different things into this time together this morning. And whether we bring great doubt or whether we bring great faith, whether our, the wounds of our past have risen to the surface and bubbled up or whether we feel um, you're healing more than we ever have, whether um, we're a complete believer or a complete skeptic, wherever we are on that spectrum, the truth is we're more of a mess than we care to admit. All of us share that in common. We're more of a mess than we care to admit, and your story through the Bible tells us that we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. And so in this time, we pray that your good news of grace 
the story of, of your son Jesus arriving and drawing towards the mess of this world to bring redemption, not immediate answers for every question, but to bring redemption and a story of hope and redemption through the empty tomb, that that may come into our lives in some mysterious way through these words now as we look at your scripture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in case you haven't noticed, our culture is raging, really, with all kinds of issues. There's the great mask debate of 2020. There's an incredible engagement right now in the issue of race in our culture, injustice, race, our checkered, incredibly checkered and painful past with this and the need to address it still today. Um, and it's bringing up all kinds of other issues, you know, cancel culture is, is a new buzzword. And then of course, of course, we can't forget that right around the corner in, um, you know, right here in November, it's hitting us. The campaigning season has already begun. There's an election and it's a pretty important one, president of the United States. And in all these issues, we are told and we are helped to see their importance. And we are often told that they are of utmost importance. But as Christians, um, we struggle sometimes with how do we engage and um, we wish in some ways that the Bible would just give us, hand us a list of ways of engaging in our modern culture, but it doesn't. But what we read this morning are some passages that give us some, definitely some help. And so let's listen to Jeremiah and Philippians and Romans, just these short passages and what they have to say. I want to start with the, the passage in Jeremiah, which tells us this. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. And so as we imagine these people that had an identity of, of, of God's identity, you know, God's people being carried away to exile to live under a completely foreign kingdom with all kinds of um, contrary beliefs and contrary practices and um, God-defying behaviors, and yet they're told to seek the peace and prosperity of the culture around them. And so what this does is gives us at least one example where, from Scripture where we're instructed to participate in the welfare of the culture around us. So this would be pushing us from any sense that we want to be separatists. You know, we, we, we got to completely cut ourselves off because we have the right approach. We have this spiritual, biblical Jesus approach. No, 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 this, this passage would nudge us away from that. And it's also been something that has um, been exhibited in the church throughout history. It's, a, it's an odd thing, the way Christians live in relationship to culture. And so in the second century AD, Christians are being described in a letter and it says this, for Christians are not distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, language, or custom. For nowhere do they live in cities of their own, nor do they speak some unusual dialect, nor do they practice an eccentric way of life. This teaching of theirs has not been discovered by the thought and reflection of ingenious people, nor do they promote any human doctrine, as some do. They live in both Greek and barbarian cities, as each one's lot was cast, and follow the local customs in dress and food and other aspects of life. And then it goes on. At the same time, they demonstrate remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own citizenship. 
they live in their own countries, but not but but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign country is their fatherland and every fatherland is foreign. So this is a nudge away from the separatist thread that we might feel. We say, oh, things are getting so bad. We just have to, you know, separate. It's us versus the world. But then there's this Philippians passage, which gives us a different nudge. Whatever happens as citizens of heaven, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. As citizens of heaven, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. So it's clear from our Jeremiah passage that, yeah, we live in and amidst the culture. We seek its welfare. Yes, we're engaged. We're involved. If the city does well, we do well. And yet, I think what the Philippians chapter really gives us is the gift of telling us that, you know what? You do live amidst a culture and you do participate in it. And yet, the culture's essential battles are not my essential battles if I'm a Christian, if I'm a citizen of heaven. The culture's essential and monumental victories that I might even participate in, it's the march or the celebration of, of this thing that's happening. And yet, that essential victory that, was, that is won at an election or that is won through legislation or is that it won on the battlefield, that victory, that monumental victory for my culture, eh, it's not, it's not my essential victory. And so we have a way of even holding loosely that which our culture just holds so firmly. My victories, they're important. My, your essential battles, your essential victory as a church. Well, of course, what am I going to say? The cross, the empty tomb. That's where... I, as an absolute foreigner to God's, to, the, to, to God's inside circle of citizenship, I've been given, I've been granted, it's been won for me, even though I did everything I could do to, to disqualify myself as God's citizen, God did everything he could do to qualify me and you as his citizen forever. Untouchable citizenship won through the victory of the cross and the empty tomb. And this is why, so this is our citizenship, and so that's what's essential to us. And so that's why it's important for Daniel. I don't know if you remember the, some of the stories of Daniel in the Old Testament. That's why he was getting on his knees praying three times a day, because he was in exile in Babylon working for a different king. And although he did his job well, it's clear he had to stop. And three times a day, he would look towards Jerusalem, where his essential king, uh, citizenship was, where he was a citizen of God's kingdom, where he was a child of God. And if we don't do this, if we don't have a connection, a thriving, regular connection to our heavenly citizenship, it will get watered down to the point where we can't even tell the difference between what our culture is doing and what we think of as God's agenda in this world. As we think of our citizenship and in citizenship in this world, heaven and this world, 
it'll just be exactly the same and there will be no difference. We'll just look like everybody else in, our, in this world. And we'll lose sleep over things just like everybody else in this world leaves, loses sleep over things because we won't have, we'll lose sense of our essential victory and our hope. And so we must, um, as Chad Bird puts it in his book, Upside Down Spirituality, we must, he says, I love how he puts this, we must participate in the life of God's people. I don't mean following a celebrity preacher on Twitter and Instagram. I don't mean listening to our favorite theologians podcast or local Christian radio station on our morning commute. I mean butts in the pews, eyes on the altar, ears attuned to the pulpit, mouths chewing the bread of the supper, tongues red with communion wine, hands clasping the hands of fellow believers, vocal cords singing hymns, knees bent in prayer. Of course, there's a whole bunch of things not allowed in uh, quarantine COVID-19 season, but we'll get back to this for sure. The only way we can be fully present in our modern Babylons, says Chad Bird, is by simultaneously being fully present, bodily present in a congregation we call home. And then I think if we begin to get this balance right of those first two passages, then we'll see the fruit of the third passage, which is Romans 12. And Romans 12 says something just totally shocking and unusual. And I don't know that we see very many examples of this, quite frankly. On your newsfeed, on Twitter, uh, anywhere, locally, nationally, worldwide, do you see very many examples of this? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Goes on to say, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then this line, do, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. This, I believe that's the fruit of getting it right in terms of the balance of our citizenship here on earth and seeking the welfare of the city, but also having our essential citizenship in heaven. Our essential citizenship is the gospel, the undeserved, complete, unconditional love offered to us to make us citizens of God's kingdom. This Romans 12 thing is a un completely unusual approach to situations in our world that the rest of our neighbors are losing sleep over every night. In a world insistent on making our enemies pay, you know, because they're wrong and make them pay. The gospel people are magnanimous making space for enemies to potentially thrive and experience God's grace, making space for people who think very differently than us. And if at all possible, have being at peace with everyone on the political spectrum, on the issues spectrum, because gospel people hold lightly to their political hopes because it's as if they're guests here visiting from a much more satisfying kingdom. Gospel people are magnanimous because they are calm, even as the pundits are raging, because they have a pre-settled spirit. It seems as if the world's raging on issues to try to reach a point of being settled. And the Christian arrives at the beginning of the issue with a pre-settled spirit because of the cross and the empty tomb. And God's people are magnanimous because they find it possible to take an exit ramp off the highway of outrage 
because they've tasted the unconditional love that God has for us and just want to share it. Let's just take 30 seconds or so to reflect on the questions that you see on the screen here, and then we'll close in prayer. Our Heavenly God, we need help living in this world. It's confusing and difficult. Sometimes we feel self-righteous and we feel so certain that we must throw our all into something that's going on in the world around us. And yet, we need to be taught by your Holy Spirit that we've lost track of our essential citizenship. And yet, on the other hand, sometimes we are so aloof and so heavenly focused that we're of no earthly good. And we need to be woken up and invited to seek the welfare of the city and the world around us. This balance is so difficult to get that we can only happen through your Holy Spirit's work. And so we pray that even in our day, there might be some who would see a church like City Life and, and, and want to write a letter to someone explaining the oddity of how we seem to balance the grace and the magnanimity of a, of a foreign kingdom while we participate lovingly as peacemakers in the culture around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, asking for your help. Amen.